through the show. Richard Pollock filling in the host chair for Drew Mandel. Joined in studio by Ezra Ginsberg, David Manuka of IllegalCurve.com, Tim Debenhab, and Michael Remus. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on TSN 1290. And this segment is brought to you by Bernstein's Deli, conveniently located at 1700 Corden Avenue in the Corden Village Mall. Bernstein's is a family-owned restaurant and owned and operated restaurant, excuse me, traditional-style deli that has been serving traditional deli food for nearly 30 years. Take it home or eat it there. Bernstein's Deli is your deli destination in South Winnipeg. Check out their website at bernsteinsdeli.com. I can see Ezzy so eager to get in before I even finished with the ad. I, I No, I mean, again, we're very happy. Our newest sponsor, Bernstein's Deli. I have some cabbage borscht in the freezer that's just uh, waiting for me after the show. So check out their uh, their sandwiches and their so soups. You're is you've got a nice little Saturday planned. Nice little Saturday, yeah. If you want to hang out with uh, the Illegal Curve guys, we'll be at Bernstein's Deli tomorrow. Ezzy will be at his own table. We'll be at no. the other table. <laughs> I actually, yeah, I actually have, like, I'm actually quarantined. Like, there's, like, plastic wrapped around me. <laughs> I eat in there. And nobody's allowed to, like, disturb me. And Dave, before <laughs> wow. Dave, before we get to Ron Hainsey and, and, and the options the Jets will have, depending on where they sit in the standings, we have some uh, action on Twitter. Yeah, make sure you're uh, at tweeting us at Illegal Curve, uh, and we'll tr- see what we can read on air. But Thomas Hartlib said, when we were talking about Burmistrov, he said, but what about Burmistrov between Kane and Wright when Wright comes back? And as we said earlier, Koshinwell said Wright is day-to-day. And then we had Stephen B- uh, Bayet said, uh, why does Burmi get a uh, sat when while Ole Okunin gets a free pass? Questions that fans always have, and I think seniority is a factor there. I think there's another uh, number of other issues, and you don't know exactly what goes by and goes on behind closed doors, as David mentioned earlier. But the questions that are fair to ask, and uh, you know, I don't mind people raise issues like that, and, and where the flack is or, or where it isn't. Ron Hainsey is a guy to me that we've discussed at length, and I, and I, and I think it's warranted. He's, he's logged big minutes for the Jets this year. He's logged, you know, he's been playing alongside Zach Bogosian. Yesterday wasn't his best game. Made a poor pinch of the line on the second goal. The third goal was a poor read or communication between Andropov, Bogosian, and Hainsey in terms of where everybody was supposed to be going. But in any event, he's been very helpful this year to the Jets' cause. He's a pending uh, free agent, unrestricted, meaning he can go anywhere for any amount of money he wishes once the free agency hits this offseason. I'm going to ask you guys uh, in points. If this, then would you trade him or you keep him? Okay? We got this game ready to roll? Okay. The Jets are third in the conference. This is before the trade deadline. Yeah. The su- next Sunday. Okay? Today's mm-hmm. Saturday, March 23rd. So March 31st. By the way, can I just interject here? Are there any prizes for this game? or is um, Maybe an illegal curve toque? Sure, we'll give you a illegal curve toque, Yazzie, even though you're wearing one right now. <laughs> if the Jets on March 31st are third, third in the conference, as would you trade or keep Ron Hainsey? I think you keep him. I think if you're third in the conference and you have a good chance at making the playoffs, I think you need Ron Hainsey. With Redmond out um, and and the lack of experience they have, uh, I, I think you need to keep him. Even even if you lose him, I think you need to keep him. Now, and, and that's a tough call, but I would say keep him, even though they could probably get a second-round pick for him maybe. David? I'm with Ezzy. I think that you have to keep him. I think that... Uh, the, the long-term thinkers are going to say, no, it's ridiculous. What's what's a short playoff series going to be worth compared to, uh, you know, the, the the what you can get back, which obviously could be, you know, a second, third round pick. Who knows what you can get for a Ron Hainsey right now. But 
I think that you have to keep him because you need that veteran experience in the locker room and on the ice for uh, for the playoffs for a playoff run. And before we get to the next one, you also have to weigh the, the monetary component of this, and if the and that's if the Jets keep him and they make it the playoffs and they're at home, they play at minimum, you know, two games at home, which is arguably worth the, what you hear reports two million bucks cat, you know, two million bucks net profit because they're not paying the players anymore. So the tickets are quite expensive. So the issue is, and if you push that to say a seven-game series and you play four games at home, is that eight million bucks? And if he's going to help you make eight million bucks, then how much is the second or third-round pick worth? There, there's a financial component to that, Absolutely. and there's the playoff experience, of course, that derive that's derived from obviously you know getting in and and, and playing a, a team in a series and and getting your players who haven't been in the playoffs, as Zach Bogosian mentioned, um, get some game experience when it matters most, as. Richie, if we for, if we forget the conjecture about Ron Hainsey and the NHLPA and all that stuff, which is to me irrelevant at this point, whether or not the Jets make the playoffs, there is a, a chance that the Jets re-sign Hainsey the way he's played this year. Sure, there's a chance that he they let him go and they they determine that a guy coming off a four and a half million dollar contract isn't worth. He's going to get less than that, by the way. But mm-hmm. if they determine he's not worth $2 million, $3 million, whatever that it is, sure, they might let him go as a UFA. But there's also a chance, you have to agree, that there's a chance, whether that's 2% or 5% or 20%, that the Jets re-sign him. I think they, they have to consider it based on the way he's played. I mean, right now, you've got Buffalo and Eclitsum in the top, on top four. And and then you've got you've got Hainsey and Bogosian, and I would argue that Hainsey and Bogosian is your top pairing. So he's playing as a top pairing defenseman. You owe him at least the consideration to re-sign him. If so, both David and Nezzy say keep Ron Hainsey if your team, if the Jets are in third place in the in the conference, meaning first in the division, on March thirty first, gentlemen, if the Jets are eighth in the conference on March thirty first, do you keep or trade Ron Hainsey, Dave? I'm still thinking you keep him. I said, you know, because at that point you still have an opportunity to uh, to make the playoffs. I mean, you're in the eighth spot, so it's not like you're out of it yet. And uh, you have to do whatever you can to, to you know, it's, it's again, it's long-term thinking versus short-term. And so it's very hard to think to, to remove one hat from the other. Because, again, from a, from Coach Noel's point of view, you want to win right now. And fans... Fans don't want to, like, as much as fans say, yeah, we can yep. we can deal with long-term, we don't mind having a loser for four or five years. I remember the first Jets, and I remember the promise that the Jets in the mid-'90s were going to be the, we had all this young talent, and they were going to be Stanley Cup winners in the, by the, I think the Hockey News predicted, like, 94, 95, the Jets were going to win the Stanley Cup because of Timu and Alexi mm-hmm. and, and Keith Kachuk and all those guys. But the reality was you had to put up with a lot of dog days uh, throughout the throughout the years, and it's hard, and it's not easy. So fans want to see wins, and they want to see teams in the playoffs. So, you know, again, long. Uh, my personal feeling is, I, you th- I think you keep him, and I think you could resign him. And I think, I think honestly, Ron Hainsey is still a very serviceable defenseman. And from an organizational standpoint, in regards to the future and and the draft, Chevy stockpiled two second rounders and two third rounders for the 2013 draft. So you've already got the luxury of having picks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if they're in eighth. And they're making a push for the playoffs, and you get, you give them away for for the picks, then you're you're putting yourself in a situation where now you have your top pairing defenseman not available. So now you're you're elevating someone else to that role, and Toby will be back by then. But you're now elevating someone from the bottom six to the the top, uh, the second pairing. Pardon me. So I think that they don't need their, whether it's a second or third rounder. I don't think that they need to move him because uh, so so you say keep him. 
Yes. So, yeah. just to recap, so far you guys say if the Jets are in third place in the conference, you would say that you would advise that they keep Ron Hainsey, and if they were in eighth place in the conference, we're talking as of March 31st, next Sunday, then you say you'd also keep Ron Hainsey. You're Which, listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show on TSN 1290. Richard Pollock filling the host chair for Drew Mandel, joined in studio by David Manouk and Ezra Ginsburg, and we're talking about Ron Hainsey and whether or not the Jets should keep or trade him based on the situation that they may or may not be in next weekend heading into the Wednesday, April 3rd trade deadline. Trade deadline coverage, of course, on TSN 1290 all day. Well, you're on doing double duty. You'll be on uh, Rick Ralph's TSN roundtable. That's right. Richie, you know, I know, I know, I don't know if you want to continue talking about this or, or, I do. or if we're almost done. But, okay, if we're going to continue about it, I think even if the Jets are in ninth or 10th or 11th. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Hold on. Am, I, am I jumping the shark you're jump, here? You're jumping, you're jumping something right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if the Jets are outside the playoffs on March 31st, but within two points of the playoffs, so two points or less, Ezra, would you trade or keep Ron Hainsey? I think unless the Jets lose their next three games, you keep Ron Hainsey. If that makes it e- even more clear, I think, yeah, you keep him. I don't. I don't think you should trade him because... The Jets aren't going to get a high draft pick this year, so you're you're trading him for to get a second rounder. You're not, you're not getting a first rounder. For, uh, I'll eat my shorts if the Jets get a first rounder for Ron Hainsey. Yeah. I think that's what he's worth. I think you guys would kind of agree with that. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that for the last couple of weeks. So I think that you keep him if you're unless you tank you in the next fo- week. You can follow us on Twitter at Illegal Curve, on Instagram at Illegal Curve, and on Facebook yep. Facebook.com/slash Illegal Curve. Specifically Twitter. We'd like to hear your opinion. We want to hear what you think the Jets should do with Ron Hainsey based upon the situations that we've outlined. Dave, what's your thoughts? If the Jets are within two points of the playoffs, outside looking in, but within two points or less on March 31st, heading into the trade deadline on April 3rd, what would you do? So far, as he's keeping Ron Hainsey in any situation that we've mentioned, what do you think? Um, you know what, as he's, uh, he's got a good argument. I mean, the, the, at the end of the day, you've already got a very full coverage of trade of draft picks for this uh, very deep draft in 2013 in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, unless you are really out of it, unless you're right now like a Buffalo or a Florida and you're looking to have a fire sale, you don't need to get rid of them. And, and for the reasons, Richard, you've outlined, the Jets have financial reasons why they want to keep Ron Hainsey. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know what, again, unless Chevy can pull some sort of trade that is just too good to pass up, then I think you have to keep him for the for because you're not out. I mean, as we've gone, mm-hmm. we illustrated with the schedule talk. I don't care if the Jets are in ninth spot or in tenth spot because they're not going to be that far out of it. And so, realistically, at any point, they could jump back in to the third or seventh or eighth position and get into the playoffs. And I mean, it's the irony, of course, is that we look at the Jets' road record. They've been better on the road than at home. So if they start on the well, they're not beating Pittsburgh or, or Boston, but. You know what I mean? Like they could cause some, they can get some noise, get at least two games at home, possibly a third one. Who knows? If they're more than three points out, last question. If they're more than three points out of the playoffs, three or more on on April third, push it because it's and that's a lot of points to accumulate. Thir- three po- more than three or more points out of the playoffs as of April third, coming into the trade deadline in the afternoon that day, would you two keep or sell Ron Hainsey? I think you still keep him. And I, I'm not sure. I'd have to do the math if they lose their next three games, if that would mean they're three points out or five points mm-hmm. out. But, I, I, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is you keep him at this point. Um, I, I know there's going to be Jets fans listening out there that, that are going to say, you know what, he hasn't been that great. You know, he, he pinched yesterday, and that led to the two-on-one goal by, by Brooks Like that Mike Ribeiro set up. Or was it Brower? I'm getting confused here. There were so many goals last night. It was Brower. Thanks, Timmy. The, the, the two-on-one goal. Hainsey made a bad decision, and I think he does make bad decisions once in a while. But, you know, 
what defenseman doesn't? And and you know he's he's played top minutes on the top pair with Bogo, and I think Bogo and Hainsey have been over the last couple of weeks. He's been they, those guys have been our best pair, and I, I think you keep him. And you know it's a it's a different situation. It's more of a delicate situation than the Johnny Oduya situation. So keep him, Dave. Well, you know what? We've got to re- we've got to read some of the because t- this, of course, is passionate topic. People get excited, so we've got some good tweets coming at us. Graham says trade Hainsey, nothing else. Roaring Fittigan, if you can sign him before the trading deadline, I would keep him. If you won't sign extension, I would trade him. Um, Travis Pascarek said trade him, be gone with Hainsey and his turnover ways. Uh, DP says deep draft this year. Not saying they trade him, but I feel like he's underrating the value of a second round pick, and possibly the greatest tweet so far. Chris Wassell said. Would I see Ezzy G eat anything for a second rounder? <laughs> that's a fair Chris question. Chris is a good guy. Yeah. Shout out to Chris Wassell in New Jersey. Good guy. That's a fair question, and I'm not sure we need to know the answer to that. For what it's worth, um, I think you trade Hainsey under all circumstances I listed because... When, when, <laughs> what? I do, and, I, and I'll explain myself. When you have it, Tobias Enstrom back, you've you solidified your left side far more, obviously, than when he was injured. If Mark Stewart is day-to-day, as, they, as, as we suspect, you can always play Mark Stewart with Zach Bogosian and Enstrom with Buffalo. And I actually wouldn't mind them switching those up. But you have a bunch of other guys that can do serviceable jobs. And you can load up the top two pairings and play them a lot more like the Rangers do with their top two pairings. And I think at the end of the day, if you can get good value for Hainsey and he is to exit as a free agent in any event, you can then turn that second-round pick into an asset or you can combine two second-round picks and make it a first-round pick. And then you're really talking. Either way... Based on the Jets' production this year, I don't think they're a good enough team to be looking short-term. But I'm certainly open to the argument, and you guys did make a good case for it. Ron Hainsey did play his hockey for a period of time, which led to his big contract um, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And on that note, we're going to be speaking to Aaron Portsline of the Columbus Dispatch after the break. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. Just past quarter to the top of the hour, Richard Pollock filling in the host chair for Drew Mandel joined in studio by Ezra Ginsberg, David Manuk of IllegalCurve.com. And this segment is brought to you by David Carr of Monopoly Realty. Buying and selling a house is one of the most important and stressful life experiences. This is not an experience to be undertaken by yourself or left in the hands of a rank amateur. David Carr of Monopoly Realty takes the stress out of your real estate experience while you are secure in the knowledge that a true real estate professional is looking after your transaction. David Carr of Monopoly Realty, 230-6129. That's David Carr of Monopoly Realty, 230-6129. Now, let's go live on the Legal Curve Hockey Show Hotline. We're joined on the hotline by Aaron Portsline of the Columbus Dispatch. The Blue Jackets are rising up the standings and of course up in Winnipeg here we're not seeing the Western Conference uh, squad so we're gonna have to touch base with Aaron to see how exactly things are going there Aaron how are you I'm doing very well thanks thanks for having me thanks for joining us and you know Aaron you look at the standings today and obviously the tiebreakers aside because we're you know March 23rd the Jackets are sitting at eighth spot tied for eighth spot in the Western Conference if you're having to you know Give a fan uh, an explanation, maybe a one or two line explanation as to why the the jackets are succeeding this year. What would that be? Well, I think there's a couple couple things that stick right out. The first one is that Sergei Bobrovsky, the goaltender, has been just phenomenal here for three weeks now. I mean, he has really been the backbone of this 12 game point streak that they're on. Uh, the play in front of him has been very very sound as well, but he has been 
uh, out of this world some nights. So that's the first thing. The other, the other part is this team has been playing very close games all season, even when they were 5-12-2 and, and people were debating Seth Jones and Nathan McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they were losing extremely close games. They were playing uh, – Chicago very tight, Anaheim very tight, the powers of the Western Conference, they were going toe-to-toe with them. They just didn't have quite enough to get over the hump, but the will was there, the work ethic was there, uh, and that that surprised and delighted some people here. Well, in the last few weeks now, they've not only just worked hard to get to the point of keeping close, but they've gone uh, over the hill now, and, and they're starting to win those games by just one goal. Uh, the penalty kill has been absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. In the last 15 games, it's 37-38, and the only one that they've allowed is a five-on-three in Detroit. Uh, so no five-on-four goals for 15 games now. That's that. Those three things right there is really, it's really the DNA blocks of of why this team is is out of nowhere and to the surprise of almost everybody uh, played their way into the believe it or not, playoff discussion. You know, Aaron, Jack Johnson is logging big men, and it's on the back end for Columbus this season. Has he settled in since last year's trade? Yeah, you know what? He settled in extremely well, um, almost troublingly so, <laughs> given the way that the Kings you know, took off and won the Stanley Cup. You wondered why, why is this guy so happy to be in Columbus. But Jack deserves a lot of credit. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the dressing room that even before Rick Nash moved along, I think without uh, offending him, once it became known that he he wanted out, then I don't think people worried about stepping on toes quite so much. Uh, they started to redefine the dressing room and and put things together in terms of how they wanted to do things in the future. And Jack was a big part of that. He he came to Columbus saying all the right things and has backed up those words with his with his play and with his attitude. He's been phenomenal. This is a team that does not have a captain right now. They've decided to let it go. I don't think anybody expected them to let it go this far. Uh, but Jack is Jack is an, a, absolutely a leader in that dressing room. So is so are some other guys, Brandon Dubinsky and, and Derek Dorsett and Wisniewski, uh, R.J. Umberger. They've they've had a lot of guys really take control. But I think Jack deserves uh, perhaps the most credit for coming over from L.A. and, and handling it the right way. Aaron, you wrote about this recently in the Columbus Dispatch. Are you okay there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all good. Yeah. I had a bit of a whooping cough earlier this week, so I can relate to that. Uh, you wrote about James Wisniewski recently in the Columbus Dispatch, the uh, newspaper that you, of course, write for. He is going to return from his injury uh, pretty soon. What is that going to mean for, for this back end? Well, you know what? I mean, the way things have gone, not just for Columbus, but for a lot of teams, someone's probably going to get hurt between now and then. I mean, I hate to be so... So dark, but that's the way it's it's gone. Uh, it is a very good question, though, because they've really settled in now to how they they knew they had a good collection of players in the back end. That that was defined as the strength of this team, uh, but they had to do some shuffling. I mean, they had Jack Johnson and Wisniewski together at the start, and that really didn't work. I mean, those those guys are not known for their red line back play; they're known more for their red line in play, and it wasn't really a fit. So they they busted them up. Uh, and they broke up Tutin and McKeaton as well. They're, they're two Russians. Now they've really settled in with, with Tutin and Jack Johnson as the number one pair. It's been very good. Uh, McKeaton has found a, a groove here lately with a rookie named Dalton Prout, who is a very, 
very impressive player here for the 11 games she spent with him this season. A big, big, strong guy, and they needed that on the back end. He's also pretty darn good with the puck. Uh, and then they they sort of mixed and matched the other ones. Tim Erickson, who they got in the Rick Nash trade, mm-hmm. has been phenomenal. And on the right side of, of him has been John Moore uh, and Adrian Acoin. Now Moore will go in tonight against Nashville. Acoin comes out. Uh, but when Wisniewski comes back, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they fit him in. Um, if, if everyone remains healthy, how are they going to make this work? It's really hard for me to see them taking Dalton Prout out of the lineup right now, frankly. And But Wisniewski's itching to get back. I mean, I, I think he's targeting Thursday in Edmonton. I think that might be his target. I don't know if that's been approved by the medical staff or the coaches. Um, but, uh, you know, he's missed this entire 12-game point streak. He's probably starting to feel like a forgotten man here if he doesn't get back out there and play. You know, we're going by Aaron Portsline at the Columbus Dispatch, and we're talking about the Columbus Blue Jackets surprising rise up the standings. You know, Aaron, you talk about the defense and haven't haven't had the opportunity to watch the team play this year, but the defensemen you, you mentioned, you know, whether it be Wisniewski or Jack Johnson or, or John Moore, the youngster, all those guys can really skate, or, and, and Tim Erickson as well. Are, is this defense... And the defense's mobility really helping the team transition out of the uh, out of the defensive zone. You know, I think it does help them. They're still a very limited team at forward, um, but the one thing that they do, uh, really, the way that they create offense. This is not a team that's going to uh, slice and dice through a defense and score. What they do is they get the puck quickly out of their end. Mm-hmm. This is when they're playing well. It's quickly out of their end because, of, as you mentioned, their mobility. Their not just skating the puck, but also passing the puck. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're pretty proficient with that. And then they throw it down in, in the other team's end, and they just grind away. And for the last couple of games here, specifically, they've had really long shifts, minute-and-a-half shifts that they score at the end of. Um, and, and that's what they do. They're grinding, banging, cycling team, not a lot of fancy with this group. But the defensemen, if they're playing well, they're getting the puck out of the zone and they're getting zone time in the other team's end, and, and that, that's how they've created everything. You, know, you talk about, that's kind of speaking to the style of play. Todd Richards, obviously, is getting a little more comfortable behind the bench. You look at the, the Blue Jackets, Aaron, they're top ten in the league in goals against, and Bobrovsky's obviously been a big part of that, but lots of times when you see such an adjustment in terms of goals against, it's also a style of play. Has Todd Richards changed that style of play from last year? You know, yes, well, they have a bit. It hasn't been a, a dramatic change he's done a much better job of getting guys to buy in here and they've they've done an interesting thing with their four with their forward lines as well they've got a, a clear number four line a grinding line that is of right now is mckenzie Derek mckenzie in the middle with colton gillies on the left and jared bull on the right mm-hmm. but there are other forward lines and none of them scare you at all uh but you're not quite sure where to put your checking line against this group uh, it, it, there's some scoring on each line. There's some promise on each line. There's also some defensive responsibility in every, on each line. It's, neither None of them are number one lines on a really good team. Mm-hmm. I dare say none of them are really number two lines on a really good team. They're probably somewhere between two and three, uh, but they've been opportunistic, and, and they've had, you know, Prospel scored more than people expected him to. Mark Letestu is a guy that if, if you see him play five games, you're not impressed. If you see him play 10 games, you think, yeah, he's not bad. And then by about the 25th game, you start to really like Mark Letestu. Um, they've got guys like that. They've got some worker bees like that. Nick Foligno is the guy that fits that. 
Matt Calvert, who you would be familiar with, is mm-hmm. really the, I mean, almost the prototypical Blue Jacket for this for this group in terms of his work ethic, his speed, his feistiness, uh, and some surprising but inconsistent scoring touch. That's really who these guys are. Aaron, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, three players that came over from the New York Rangers, and I imagine this has crossed your mind over the last couple of weeks with the Blue Jackets going from, you know, dead last in the West to in a playoff spot now. How ironic it would be if the Rangers missed the playoffs and the Blue Jackets made it. But, you know, those players are Artem Anisimov, Brandon Dubinsky, and Tim Erickson. And they haven't exactly lit it up. They, they've been producing, but they're not, you're not going to find them in the top 20 in the league in scoring. But how have they affected the team season thus far? Because if you look at how the Rangers have played, you know, losing those depth players, and the way the Columbus Blue Jackets are coming on here, I, I, I would probably say that the, they've been a, a huge impact. You know what? I put this out on, on Twitter the other night as a question. And they got quite a bit of a response. If you're the Blue Jackets or a Blue Jackets fan or just a, a hockey fan who pays attention, and you're from the Blue Jackets' perspective, would you trade Dubinsky and Isimov, Erickson, and a first-round pick today for Rick Nash? And the overwhelming response was um, expletive no, if I can put it that way. Um, because of, And that, that's not to... To suggest that the Blue Jackets won that trade long term, or it's, and it's not to to besmirch the name of Rick Nash. He's a, a great great guy. I got no no beef with him at all. But it's what it's meant to this club. It's allowed them to change. It's allowed the dressing room to open up to new people. It's allowed the the lines, the the, the approach of this team to be workmanlike and balanced rather than focused on one line and trying to find someone who could fit. Uh, next to Nash on that line, it's allowed them to to redefine their image and their identity, and it's that identity. It's their what what's behind that identity, the way that they work on a nightly basis, that's allowed them to have this success. And it is ironic when you look at the Rangers. They're obviously they're delighted with the way Rick Nash has played. I don't think he's the problem. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think they'd move Gabrick in a heartbeat, uh, but they're looking to move a star player for more depth because I think they really miss Dubinsky and Anisimov right now. And, and yes, the irony would not be lost on Columbus, believe me, if the best pick that the Blue Jackets have this June is one that originated with the Rangers. We're talking to Eric, Aaron Portsline on the Columbus Dispatch. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at A Portsline. Aaron, final question before we let you go. And I'm not sure if this is a coincidence or not, but you see in Toronto with Brian Burke being uh, removed from his position as general manager, and you see in Columbus with Scott Housen being relieved of his duties. Both teams seem to have and kind of succeeded after the people who put the teams in place uh, have been let go. Any coincidence, or is there some uh, reason behind that? Well, you know what? I, I think Scott Housen and people in Columbus are saying this, that he, that he does deserve some credit, obviously, for what's going on here. I don't think anybody has a beef with, with him being let go. I think people sort of expected that when John Davidson came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he, you know, he, he didn't, obviously, he did not make uh, the right decisions in a lot of cases, and there were a lot of mistakes made. Um, but the, the man did a pretty good job cleaning up some messes here uh, and had the right idea as to how this team was built heading into the season. Uh, you hope that a guy like that does get credit. And, and I know John Davidson has mentioned it already that that uh, Scott Housen does deserve a lot of credit. Yarmo Kekalainen has not made 
uh, any moves of significance since he's been here. Mm-hmm. That's not a critique of him either. Uh, he's in watch, look, and, and listen mode right now. Um, but I, I think the sense now from a lot of people that while there were mistakes made, uh, while the firing is not unjustified by any means after the season that this team had last year, uh, that Scott Houghton is deserving of of some credit and does deserve some uh, recognition for the way that this team was put together and the way that he left the organization for the people who come after him. Timing is, I guess, everything. Aaron Portsline of the Columbus Dispatch. Great to speak to you, as always, Aaron. Thanks for giving of your time this afternoon. Hey, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. We're going to go to break. After the break, Corey Perry signed a big deal this week, eight years, in excess of $65 million. We're going to speak to his agent about the negotiation with Bob Murray and the Anaheim Ducks. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. Two hours down, one hour to go. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show on TSN 1290. Richard Pollock filling in the host chair for Drew Mandel. Joined in studio by Ezra Ginsberg, David Manuk, Tim Debenham is manning the operating board as always, and Michael Remus is on the other side of the glass. Now, let's go live on the Legal Curve Hockey Show Hotline. On the line, we have Mark Guy of Newport Sports Management, Corey Perry's agent. Mark, thanks for joining us this afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. No, Mark, Corey Perry obviously signs a big contract this uh, this week, soon after uh, Ryan Getzlaff re-upped. In, in terms of the process from your perspective and, and sitting down with Corey and obviously acting as his agent, when do you sit down with Corey and start mapping out the options that he has uh, in free agency? Is that something that happens, you know, happens a bunch of times throughout the year? Is that something that you really sit down with him and start talking about the summer prior to this upcoming summer? Or is it something that is is really put on the back burner in, until you move closer to the deadline? Uh, well, the the process for Corey and, and really for most of the guys that are, whether they're restricted or unrestricted free agents, starts about a year in advance. Um, both Pat Morris and I work uh, work with Corey and, in fact, for Corey throughout his entire career. And the, uh, the first time we sat down with Corey was uh, on a road trip in, and we were in Tampa Bay about, or actually in Florida, about... Uh, uh, about a year and a uh, year and a month ago, so started uh, talking at that stage about what the potential options options would be. That the fact that Anaheim would have the ability to open negotiations in July of last year, and uh, and then there were ongoing discussions, multiple meetings uh, throughout the course of the last year. Mark, what is Ducks GM Bob Murray like to deal with, as compared to maybe some of the other general managers you've worked with? You know, every uh, every GM has a different personality and a, and a different way of dealing with negotiations. Uh, Bob is, uh, in my experience with Bob, he's extremely professional, uh, very upfront and uh, and direct and and really to the point. So there's not a lot of a lot of um, you know wasted time, so to speak, in, in terms of any of the negotiation sessions that we have. It's really let's get right down to it and see how we can work towards getting a deal. Um, He's a is a very big supporter of of Corey and and obviously of Ryan Getzlaff and he was working hard for the last year as we all were to try to try to get them signed. Speaking of uh, Ryan Getzlaff, they once again signed one two. And the question we had for you is: Do you, were you ever in contact with Ryan Getzlaff's agent? Uh, no, we did not have any discussions with uh, with Ryan's agent throughout the process. You know, 
We're joined by Mark Guy of Newport Sports Management. He is Corey Perry's agent, and Corey Perry, of course, signed the big contract this week, eight years, $69 million. When you're talking about you know Ryan Getzlaff's um, contract, Mark, is that something where he signs a little, a little bit prior to Perry? Is that the classic case for an agent of a benchmark being set in terms of the approximate value of your client? Well, I, I don't know that. Hey, you know, we started the process long before Getzlaff's deal was was in place. So, our our goal all along, uh, and Corey's goal all along, was to, uh, if it was possible, and if uh, he believed the team was in a position to be competitive, was to sign with Anaheim. And we had uh, an idea uh, based on Anaheim's internal marketplace as well as the external marketplace around the league of where Corey fit in. He's done some pretty amazing things throughout his career and you know, having been a Hart Trophy winner and a Rocket Richard Trophy winner very recently, we felt uh, strongly as, as uh, we went through the process that he should be compensated as one of the top players in the league. So that was our goal from day one. It really didn't matter too much to us from our side where Ryan Getzlaff ended up. Um, what was important to Corey in the process was that uh, he knew that Ryan was there and that they were going to be able to continue to play together and that was really the the reason for waiting for Ryan's deal to get done before we move forward. Mark, you talk about, you know, the process getting started about a year prior to free agency and of course this off season uh, or September specifically the uh, lockout uh, took place and it you know it threw a, a little bit of uh, curveballs at a couple of people and of course there's that uncertainty I guess from an agent's perspective of, of what the new CBA will bring will there be a cap on five year con you know on contracts at a five year term and obviously it ended up at eight years whose decision was it to kind of shelve discussions until after the lockout was it yours and K- Por- Corey's decision or was it more so the Ducks or did you guys come to that decision together? Corey wasn't uh, wasn't really in a position to commit to anything um, prior to the lockout. There, there were some discussions, certainly prior to the lockout with Bob and with ownership. There were some exchanges back and forth. Um, but as we got closer to the lockout, uh, Corey really wanted to make sure his biggest issue throughout this whole process, uh, or biggest consideration throughout the whole process, was it was really twofold. One, that he, if possible, wanted to remain in Anaheim. And secondly, was he wanted to make sure that it was a competitive environment. Um, he's a he's a winner and wants to be in a position to compete for the Stanley Cup every year. And obviously, the last few years, Anaheim haven't been hadn't been great. So he really wanted to wait and see how things unfolded in the new CBA and wanted to see how competitive they were. So the start to the season this year, the way the team's been going, um, obviously, gets last signing were all key factors in him moving forwards. Um, he wasn't overly concerned, and neither were we with the negotiations, other than the fact we all wish the season started much earlier. Yeah, I'm sure you guys did. Of course. Um, but uh, it was more about making sure he was in a competitive environment. Mark, it seems like now you can't really talk about any signing without uh hopefully you don't have to take that call it's not Corey perry exactly uh uh, you know it seems like we can't really talk about a contract without talking about the salary cap and you mentioned the new cba the salary cap's obviously going down next year as far as you know the Corey perry negotiations went with the anaheim ducks did Corey have any trepidation that having the two big contracts his his himself and and ryan getzlaff did he have any concern and maybe yourself as well that that would preclude the ducks from signing any other players uh, under the salary cap? Well, it was something that we talked about throughout the whole process. Um, you know, I think if, if you look 
around the league. Uh, obviously, with Corey and Getzlaff, they're two of the, the highest-paid players and, and eat up a, a big chunk of their the salary cap in Anaheim. Yet at the same time, when you look at a, a team like Pittsburgh and what they've done with having Crosby and Malkin and how successful they've been as an organization. So we felt that, and Corey felt that, if he was at a number that was uh, in the range that he ended up signing at, that the team certainly would be able to be competitive going forward. Um, Anaheim, to date, has not been a cap team. So uh, obviously uh, a part of them being competitive going forward was uh, having discussions with Bob and, and getting an understanding from them and certainly Corey getting an understanding from ownership that they were committed to going forward and being competitive and, and perhaps spending to the cap. So uh, we didn't feel that these numbers that it was going to be something that would preclude them from going out to sign. And in fact, I think quite the opposite. What it's done uh, in a lot of ways, and what we see as we go through free agency, when players try to determine where they want to go and where they want to play, they want to know that the core players of, of the team are locked up and that they're going to be playing with them going forward. So I think what Bob and what ownership has done in Anaheim here is really give themselves a leg up in free agency to be able to go out and go after players to help improve their team if they if they feel they need to do that because they know everybody's going to know they're going to have a chance to play with Corey and, and Ryan Getzlaff for the next eight years. Mark, final question. In terms of Corey Perry as a person, you know, you hear about some players saying, you know, this is what I want. You know, they, they direct their agent. This is what I want. I want this many years and just kind of get as much money as possible. And for other players, they kind of want to see every option on the board and get to maybe pick and choose and analyze. Is Corey Perry more column A or is he more column B? Uh, he's probably a mixture of both. I don't know that we put him in, in either category uh, uh, on its own. He, Corey is, is very well educated in, in the league. Their teams are situated, what the other contracts are around the league. Uh, he wanted to, to really have a pretty good understanding, have a real good understanding of everything. Um, obviously, the one area that we couldn't fill in for him was what would happen in, in July if he went to free agency and which teams would be calling. We expected there, there would be an awful lot of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we all, as a group, believed that there would certainly be more money on the table for him if he waited until July because free agency is shown to be be like that. Um, but he was uh, once he knew the range that we were at, that they were willing to commit for the full eight years and that uh, uh, Getzoff was signed, it was a no-brainer for him. Mark Guy of Newport Management Team, thanks very much for joining us this afternoon on the Illegal Curve Radio Show on TSN 1290. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mark. After the break, we're going to talk about, you know, Corey Perry is off the list for trade deadline candidates now. So after the break, we're going to discuss other possibilities. We started this on Wednesday on NHL Midweek. We're going to continue it. The likes of Derek Roy, Mike Camilleri, Doug Murray, many others are going to be discussed. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. Only three segments remaining on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Saturday afternoon. Michael Remus behind the board now. I'm joined in studio by, of course, Michael Remus, Ezra Ginsberg, and David Manuk of IllegalCurve.com. Tim has switched to the other side of the glass. And before we get to the trade deadline candidates and a little bit of an interesting video that was released by some fans, Ezra, you got a shout-out? Yeah, I'm going to do the shout-out. I'm, I'm going to forget the fact that I, I think I have beef with Remus. We talked about Shane Knighty's beef with Remus on Wednesday show. During the break, Remus goes, Ez, what, what do you want to listen to? Uh, you know, what, like, what song? We just played the Chili Peppers. I'm like, I don't know, just play, uh, I don't know, Bon Jovi. They're coming to Winnipeg. 
He asked me who I want to play, and then he plays Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. So, you know, if whatever. If it's not SDP, Metallica, or ACDC, Remus doesn't even know what it's, what it's called. Bez, you have another shout-out. I got a shout-out. Um, tomorrow, we, we want to uh, put a little bit of uh, attention uh, right now onto an event that is happening actually this Sunday, and we've promoted this uh, for three years in a row now. It is called the Trek for Tourette, and it's happening tomorrow at Assiniboine Park. It starts at 10 a.m., and we have a couple of Blue Bombers that are actually going to be at this event starting at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, Buck Pierce and Keto Pobla are, are, of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to be there. They're going to be signing autographs. So I want to give a shout-out to that event, Aaron DeGroot and Julie DeGroot, right now. So listen to listen, go uh, check that out tomorrow, 10 o'clock a.m. at Cinnaboyne Park, Trek for Tourette. Go check it out. There's only one guarantee about that event. So you won't, you'll be sleeping past 10. <laughs> well, you know, I only have one day to sleep in right now, but, you know... Don't sleep in and go go to that event tomorrow. You'll make amends. You know, before we get to the many trade deadline candidates, and you know, we spoke about a bit, a few of them on NHL midweek with the legal curve and uh, Wednesdays, which can be heard to six from six uh, until eight. We talked about a couple players, but the Buffalo Sabers may very well be having a fire sale, and we're going to talk to Mike Carrington of the Buffalo News about that this coming Wednesday. But first, why don't we listen to a little video that some of their fans put together? Attention, attention, attention! Buffalo Sabers fire sale is on now at First Niagara Center. Everything must go. We need a goaltender. We've got goaltenders. We've got a skinny goaltender. We've got a short goaltender. We've got goaltenders. Forwards? You need a forward? We've got forwards. We've got Americans, Canadians, Germans, Austrians. Yes, even Austrians. Get here now before they're gone. We've got little guys for sale. We've got big guys for sale. No reasonable offer reviews. How about underachievers? We've got plenty of underachievers. Buy one underachiever, get one free. Defense, defense, defense. Slow guys, fast guys, tall guys. All our guys are for sale. You want a captain? We've even got a captain for sale. But wait, there's even more. Mascots, Zambonis, the anthem singer. Yes, even the anthem singer is for sale. Everything must go. It's the liquidation event to end all liquidation events. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's the Buffalo Sabres once in a lifetime. Everything must go fire sale. You, yes, you, pick up the phone. Call now. <laughs> you cannot love that of the Buffalo Sabres. And on that point, I think we should discuss the many players that were mentioned. There's also a video to go along with that, which uh, we'll post on, uh, on on our Twitter, at Illegal Curve. A couple of the references in that. Um, and that little uh, spoof for Drew Stafford, who's on the books for this year, and then the following two years at $4 million per year cap hit. Vili Lino, of course, was signed last offseason. He's still got four years after this year at $4.5 million. A player that's garnering interest is, is Jason Pominville. He's got a modified no uh, no movement clause. Uh, he's got a no movement clause and a modified no trade clause to eight particular teams, but he's in on the books for $5.3 million this year, is he? And then $5.3 million next year, there are some rumblings that Montreal's interested there. He's from Quebec. He's from Quebec, although he played for the Americans in the World Championships. Yep. Um, Dual citizen. Yeah, so you have so a couple players there that we've mentioned. Robin Regeer's making uh, a little bit over $4 million in the back end. He's a pending UFA. He's got a no-movement clause as well, but you have to think he'd say okay to a trade. And then there's Jordan Leopold. So if there's one team who's a pending UFA and with $3 million left, um, on this year's deal, of three million total for this year. Excuse me, that's four players. Now Lino likely won't go because nobody's taking on that contract. But the legs of Drew Stafford, who's not a short-term rental, and then of course Robin Regeer, Jordan Leopold, and Jason Pomeville. It's possible all of them go. What do you guys think? Well, you know, we listen to that audio, and it's it's, it's really funny. And you know, if there's one team that right now 
aside from maybe the Panthers, that really is going to be a seller already. We can already say that now. The Sabres aren't going to make the playoffs. It's pretty clear. Is is the Sabres, and if, if I'm looking at some of the players who, to me, I think are going to move or for a team that should probably want to acquire someone, I would say Robin Regeer is probably at the top of that list. Jason Pominville is on their top line with Vanek when he's healthy. He's been injured a little bit lately. Cody Hodgson, he's been one of the, their best players all year, and they haven't had a lot of secondary scoring um, I should mention Tyler Ennis has been pretty good this year too, but guys like Gerby and Stafford they haven't they haven't gotten it done. Stafford to me is an interesting guy, uh, a former UND player mm-hmm. uh, who has had a, a kind of a, a mixed career. You know he's he's never really taken the next step. He's he's been solid. He's he's got good speed and to me he, you mentioned Richie that he's got a few years left on his contract. Um, to me he's an interesting guy that could help another team who's looking for secondary scoring. I mean, a team like Tampa Bay, well, let me, I mean, I'll, without LeCavalier. Let, let me get in here. Let me get in here for a second because I sure. like the way you're going with Stafford. He's scored 20 goals before, scored 31 in his best season in 2010, yeah. 2011. He's never exceeded 52 points, but that that 52-point season was only in 62 games in that same 2010-2011 year. You mentioned he's a UND uh, um, product, yep. so close to Winnipeg. Yep. 13th overall pick, actually the, the son of uh, Barry Stafford, the former Oilers assistant, uh, sorry, equipment manager. Um, he's big, and he can skate, and he's skilled. I've had the opportunity to watch him quite a bit over the course of his career. Is he not the kind of guy that the Jets would target in terms of he's signed for the next two years, so it's not a short-term fix? I, I think everybody in this room would agree the Jets have a need at the right wing. And uh, size, speed, I, I don't know what it would take to get him, and you have to wonder about that, but this is the kind of guy that, to me, would pique the Jets' interest. $4 million is not obscene in terms of a contract, and if he does start performing, you can get some value out of that. What are your guys' thoughts on that, Dave? Well, John Vogel of the Buffalo News is reporting that uh, Stafford will be a healthy scratch today in Montreal. So that's that's interesting. I mean, you know, when players fall out of favor, and we've seen it here in Winnipeg, there is life after a team. You don't have to be married to the same team forever. And, you know, look at the trade with, you know, um, Buffalo and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Both players were, were young prospects that were – there was a lot of uh, potential with Hodgson and, uh, and uh, Cassian. And they, and they said, you know what, they're not blossoming here in this organization. Let's see what they can do in another organization. They made the trade, and both have done, you know, relatively well. They picked up from where they were prior to uh, with the previous teams. So – you know, a guy like Stafford, maybe he just needs another uh, a change of scenery. Well, Dave, we're spitballing here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I would say that if Chevy and Zinger decide to move Burmistrov, I would argue that it would be as a, as a forward swap. And if you look at trading, maybe swapping Stafford for Burmistrov, it, 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 it makes sense in, the, in that... Buffalo went for it with with getting Leno and getting Airhoff. They they gave big time money and and it's and it's bombed. It's blown up in their face. It might cost Darcy Regeer his job. It cost Lindy Ruff partly his job. Um, but you know Drew Stafford is a guy that that I think the Jets should go after. And you know it's it, you're not going to get Drew Stafford f- for cheap because no. of not, the fact not that just for Mistrup. You need to be more right. Yeah. And and. Uh, it might, you might have to give uh, another prospect along with Burmistrov, Richie, you're right. But it is a type of guy that they need. You know, with Antropov and Wellwood as guys that are UFAs, the Jets are going to have to replace that scoring, and it's probably going to have to come via trade as opposed to an, an AHL call-up. It will, and, and I think that's, that's a good point. As you know, you can question, though, the staff are fitting in in this team because of the lack of focus sometimes that we've seen and that we obviously took issue with in the first hour. A player that uh, played alongside uh, Stafford in Buffalo for many years is Derek Roy, and uh, we touched on him 
a little bit on Wednesday, but let's get into that a little bit deeper. There are t- there is talk that Derek Roy is a pen. No, he is a pending UFA, but there is talk that teams such as Vancouver, yep. Ottawa, Edmonton, and San Jose are all interested in Derek Roy's services. Do you think it's a for it's a foregone conclusion that he's dealt with? Uh, he's dealt from Dallas, excuse me. And if so, which of those four teams, if anyone else, do you think he fits in best at? I think he fits in the best with the Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks, uh, I said this last week, and, I, and I'll say it again. I think that we're seeing how valuable Ryan Kessler is to the Vancouver Canucks. The Sedins are unique in that they are so well they play well so pardon me they i can't even speak they play so well together uh but you still need uh more than that in in the nhl they you need a a good second line center Mm -hmm. i think you know he would probably fit in san jose as well but they've got the two joes there but you know i I think you know vancouver canucks i think will make a push for him and you know brendan morrow's in play too richie and i I think that you know that's a little bit more of a delicate complicated situation but i think with Dallas kind of hovering below that playoff line, I, I'm going to be surprised if one of those guys don't get moved because you risk the chance of not um, capitalizing on their high trade value right now. I, I agree, and I think Derek Roy is the end Vancouver. I think you're exactly right. It would alleviate some pressure of the Ryan Getzlaff injury, and even when Getzlaff comes back, it allows yes. you to have sorry Ryan Kessler allows you to allows you to have the a little bit more depth, and you can ease him into the lineup a little more. You can even play him on the wing if you want to. Roy also can play second power play unit, can play the point if you need. And if you look at Vancouver's power play, bottom couple in the league, which is surprising based on past years. So Derek Roy is somebody uh, that fits in, to me, almost perfectly in Vancouver. I totally agree. Let's go to break, but when we come back, I want to talk about, I want to focus on the Edmonton Oilers, their situation, and then I also want to focus on goaltending and the goaltending market. Is it Luongo? Is it Ben Bishop? Is it Jonathan Bernier? Is it any of them? We'll find out. We'll, we'll at least try and predict predict what we think will, 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 uh, will occur. You're listening to the Leo Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. Sticking with our theme of uh, 90s grunge rock and roll. Michael Remus, of course, with some Rage Against the Machine. Richard Pollock joined in studio by Ezra Ginsberg and David Manuk of AlilaCurve.com. Drew Mandel is away on his honeymoon and is not joining us, did not join us for the NHL Midweek show this past Wednesday. Obviously not here today. Won't be here this upcoming week on NHL Midweek. And also won't be here for next week's show. I should note, next week's show is an 8 o'clock start time because the Jets play Carolina in Winnipeg at 2 p.m. So, again, we mentioned it on Wednesday. If you're ever looking for our show on Saturdays, if there's no game, we're on 12 to 3. Otherwise, we're on six hours before puck drop on Saturday. We lead in three hours, and then, of course, Hustler and Lawless are on from two hours, uh, the, the two hours before uh, the, the game, of course, and then you have Rick Ralph with the uh, 1290 pregame show. You know, Richie, we need to have, like, an illegal curve app or like some type of notification system that you know just wakes people up when we're on well, if we it's not 12 o'clock like we need something at least i need something <laughs> there is always something a little site called leocurve.com where you will yep. find a note generally in the morning papers which brings you all the latest jets news about the time the start times of the next show whether it's the nhl midweek show or the Saturday show. Dave, can I favorite that comment, or can you only do that on Twitter? <laughs> it's not real life. Like that's your verbal, your verbal texting, your verbal tweeting right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been known to have verbal diarrhea. So, this segment is brought to you by Doctor Les Rikus and the Lyndon Market Dental Center. Whether an elite athlete or a weekend warrior, wearing proper protective equipment is a must. 
a proper-fitting, custom-made mouthguard designed for you by Dr. Les Rikus and the Linden Market Dental Center is an essential part of your protection. In two short appointments, you can get your own custom-fitted mouthguard and give yourself peace of mind protection as well as facial, teeth, and mouth protection. Contact Linden Market Dental Center at 204-487-2226. That's 204-487-2226 or online at lindenmarketdentalcenter.com. Boys, we talked before about, you know, Derek Roy. We talked about Drew Stafford and, and, and the, the Buffalo Sabres players that may or may not be available, and it appears they probably will be available. But we hadn't really focused on goaltending. Before we get to the Edmonton Oilers, which we will get to before the end of the segment, you know, you hear, obviously, Roberto Luongo drama has been going on all year. But also now you hear the rumors of Ben Bishop being available in Ottawa and Jonathan Bernier being a tradable asset from L.A., which you're really not taking off the starting roster of last year's cup team. And that roster, as Jim Fox told us this past week, is essentially the same. What do you guys think happens, first off, with Luongo? Dave? You know what? Uh, I thought for sure he would have been traded by now. Uh, the fa- the way they've handled it in Vancouver has been amazing. Luongo and uh, Schneider doing that video with uh, James Dutchie from uh, TSN was in- simply incredible. Because it's just, you know, they've handled it extremely well, considering the, the you know circumstances that they're under, the pressure that they're under in that market. And um, n- But on the hockey side of things, you know, Vancouver needs some new assets. Mm-hmm. And so they've got two number one goaltenders, well, supposedly two number one mm-hmm. goaltenders. You have to think that they're going to blink and make a move. Now, they don't have to make a move. Uh-huh. They well, don't have to. Let me get in there. Do they have to? I mean, they can score. David boots up for the season. Um, I'm talking like scoring-wise when you're talking four lines, really. Ryan Kessler's hurt. Is it really a guarantee that Kessler stays healthy, Dave? And then the question is, who's scoring your second line and your third line? I mean, I don't know. I mean, don't they kind of have to make a move? And it doesn't mean they have to move Luongo, but what other assets do they have to make a move? The Vancouver Canucks, you know, we're talking about sellers, the Buffalo Sabres. Canucks are a buyer. And the Canucks have struggled here. And what's happened in the Northwest Division is the Minnesota Wild have found their game. Now they're at the top of the division. And the Vancouver Canucks don't really know when Kessler's going to be back. He'll be back. He's not going to be out for, you know, the season and playoffs. But he's out now, and he might be one week or two weeks. I think the Vancouver Canucks do have to make a move. I don't know necessarily if that's moving a goaltender. The, the problem that, you know, that hasn't gone away with dealing Roberto Luongo or Corey Schneider is that Vancouver wants a lot, and if they're going to move them. And to be honest with you, Mike Gillis should want a lot. It's a luxury to have two excellent goaltenders. And, you know, I kind of changed my tune a little bit about this. You've got Roberto Luongo under contract for, what is it, seven more years, eight more years, and Corey Schneider is a pending RFA. Or, pardon me, uh, after next year, I believe he's a pending mm-hmm. RFA. Sorry. Uh, and it, it almost seems like the way Roberto Luongo has dealt with this situation, it's almost like the tide has turned a little bit. We want your thoughts, by the way, on, on the trade rumors and as they relate to the Jets or the entire National Hockey League at our Twitter, at IllegalCurve.com. We'll read those in the last segment. Dave, uh, I want to post to both of you, really. You know, we talk about Luongo, and I guess the question is, does Luongo need to be traded or dealt with in one way or another, you know, them taking him off the market or trading him for the issues of, and the players like Bishop, Ben Bishop in Ottawa, and Jonathan Bernier in L.A. having to be dealt with? Because, to me, it might be actually the reverse in that, you know, why would you trade? I realize Luongo's proven, but he comes with this massive ticket for a long period of time. Whereas Bernier and Bishop... 
could conceivably provide you with the exact same goaltending yep. at a fraction of the price, a fraction of the long-term commitment, and they may not even cost as much. Out of those two guys, the guy that I like the best is, is Bernier. I know that Ben Bishop was you know, highly, highly thought of in the Blues organization, mm-hmm. and he's done a decent job this year, uh, more than a decent job uh, for the Ottawa Senators this year. Even, I mean, Robin Leonard, we talked to James Gordon of the Ottawa Citizen about this. It's pretty clear that Robin Leonard is the guy that they kind of consider the, the goaltender of the future. I mean, Craig Anderson is another guy, Richie, that might even be play. I mean, it's such a weird goalie market, Richie. I mean, you asked about the, the goalie market earlier, and, you know, Luongo's out there. Jonathan Bernier is another guy that it's such a, a precarious position when Jonathan Quick hasn't been, he hasn't been lights out. He's, he's been okay, and he's come on a lot. But Jonathan Bernier, to me, is almost the, the, high, the most highly coveted guy. And, you know, if you're a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, who I think have the biggest issue in goal, um, if you're if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, you 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 have to offer quite a bit, a high draft pick and a player uh, to get Jonathan Bernier. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if out of all three or four of these goalies that we're talking about, I don't I don't know if any of them will get moved. Stats don't mean everything, but let me read you the stats. Of the, the, these three aforementioned goaltenders: Roberto Luongo, 15 games played, seven wins, four losses, save percentage of 904, goals against 2.47. Jonathan Bernier has played five less games. He's played 10 games. His win, his record is seven two. Save percentage is nine twenty three. Ben Bishop also played ten games. He's six and four. His save percentage is nine twenty one, and his goals against is two six two. So, and Bernier's goals against is one point nine four. I think the point there is that the save percentage for both Bernier and Bishop is better than Luongo's, and there's not a risk involved. I mean, there's a risk in terms of youth and inexperience. But there's not a risk in terms of contract liability down the road. Unlike with Luongo. Exactly. Yep. And so, to me, why not take a chance on one of those guys and say, you know, if, if, it's good, if Bishop's going to cost you, say, a second rounder like what Ottawa gave up to St. Louis for him, and, and you don't know what Luongo will cost, and maybe Luongo costs the same in theory, but you have to take on that huge contract, to me, that's a no-brainer. Okay, so then the question that I would have for you is, who would be taking those guys on? And, like, which teams do you think have the biggest need right now to get those assets? Well, Calgary's a team that isn't going to make a run this year but needs a goalie in the future. Like, Kiprasov's wearing down a bit, getting older. So there was talk, you know, Bernier floated for a Ginla. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But the idea is a team like that needs a goaltender long term. So, and what about Tampa Bay? I mean, do they say Lindback isn't working out? We need to do, do we? Do they bail out early? These are all questions I think that, that are interesting. And, and, and there's many ways to go about this. And there's many ways to answer it. I mean... But most teams in the league, when we've broken it down this show team by team, most teams in this league don't have a hole in net. I mean, take a quick perusal through the the Pacific Division, for example. Just pick a division. You have Lettinen, and you have Hiller and Fast, right? You have you know, San Jose, you could argue, might need, but Mike Smith coming off the season that he came off of last year, and Jonathan Quick, I mean... Do you really have needs? And then you look at through the other teams. Well, maybe Edmonton doesn't think that Dubnik can do it. Who knows? But there aren't that many teams with the need. That's why the market, that's why I think Gillis has a little bit of overplayed his hand. I mean, it doesn't seem that the market's opening up a lot. Look what Toronto's done with Reimer and with uh, Scrivens. Nothing to write home about, but Carlisle's made him into, you know, at least solid gold goaltenders and, and making the 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 value in a better goalie is not that significant in Toronto that they would take on the contract. I, I want to leave that there, though, because I do want to talk about Edmonton before we go to the break. The Oilers, 
They could make a run and get in. They could not. We don't know. I mean, that division is still, you know, Minnesota's streaking right now, but they're not, it's not a team that's absolutely dominant. Alish Hemsky has been talked about, and then Ezzy, Ryan Whitney's been kind of, had his struggles there this year pending UFA. What do you think happens in Edmonton? Well, Ryan Whitney was a healthy scratch earlier this season. Mm -hmm. He struggled big time. He was coming off that injury last year, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, you know, the, the Oilers have major issues on defense. And heading into this year, the big question was, okay, with Nail Yakupov and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Taylor Hall and Eberle, all these first-rounders, is this can they can they do it? And, and the, the, the jury is still out because we've still got 17, 18 games left here, and the Oilers are, are, are in a nightly fight for a playoff spot. And, and the issues, to me, are on defense and in goal. Mm -hmm. the, 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 these, you can have four or five, you can have ten first-rounders like the Jets do, but if you can't get out of your own zone, take care of your own zone, it doesn't matter and get uh, good goaltending. Yeah, Devin Dubnik has struggled, and Nikolai Habibulin is not a guy that's going to be on the team for much longer mm -hmm. because of his age, um, and there's issues there. Um, but they've signed Dubnik to, I believe it was a four-year contract before the season started. But you have to think almost, too, do the Oilers make the decision to be sellers? And I think that, you know, they're going to be in a position where Ryan Whitney will be a guy that they'll look to trade yeah. because the team will want his, his leadership. And I would say that he will be traded. Um, and Hemsky, I think, is too valuable going forward because he'll work with the young guys. And, and he's a guy that you just signed, too. He's on the books this year for $5 mil and next year for $5 million. Right. Ryan Whitney, on the other hand, is a pending UFA. Ask maybe. me next year. Maybe Hemsky will be a guy that I think maybe. might get traded. You get more from now, though, if you trade him because, you know, the more yep. term on there, that's maybe true. a team yep. wants him, like a Detroit wants a possession player like that. Yep. Ryan Whitney, you know, he's not a guy that skates that well. He's trouble defending. Uh, he's never been that good in, in, in regards to playing defense. He's got a great shot, and he can move the puck. They can play on your power play. So there's, I think there's going to be a Does team. he go back to Pittsburgh? I don't know. There's going to be a team. A Detroit? What about Dupree, though? Simon Dupree, the way he's playing there, do they really need Whitney? Right. That's the question. But I think, as he, there is a team that will be able to use that slap shot and be able to shelter him maybe on a third pairing and use him on the second or first power play unit. I do think that's a possibility. There's so many possibilities, though, when you talk about the trade deadline. That's why it's exciting. I mean, that's a great part about this. This trade deadline is going to be good. I remember last year I correctly predicted it would be a little bit quieter, and you guys said there's going to be 30 trades. And uh, <laughs> this year, really this year, I think is anybody's guess. I don't think it's going to be. I, I, you know what? I think I'll, I'll, I'll say right now, there's going to be more moves this year. It's because the teams more moves are, than last year. Well, the teams Put it are, on the board. The teams are so tight. I mean, that's what it's ultimately. So you, the pro, it's hard to be a buyer or a seller yep. when you don't know where you're where you are. Yep. So that's why, really, we will see moving forward in the next ten days. Really, what team? What you are? Are you a buyer or are you a seller? Or are you neither? And you don't make it do anything because it's so tight. It could go both ways. Right. I'd like to buy everybody here lunch after uh, well, after the show. What about that? After Rapid Fire, which is coming up after the break, you're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. Already on our last segment... Richard Pollock filling in the host chair for Drew Mendel. Who's this, Megadeth? <laughs> oh, Badlands. That was the voice of Ezra Ginsberg and the laugh of David Manuk of IllegalCurve.com. Michael Remus with the great music selection is always winding up our show with a little Bruce Springsteen and Tim Debenham right beside Michael. I'm Richard Pollock. Drew Mendel is on holidays and will be um, through you know, next week. Drew deserves a holiday. He works hard. He should enjoy himself. <laughs> Take a holiday. We'll hold things down here. Dave M will step in. 
rapid fire. I'm only can, I can only have so much of suspension, so I figure we just toss it all into rapid fire at once and talk about one after another. And the first question I have, guys, is I'm sure you've all seen Alex Edler's hit on Mike Smith in Phoenix behind the net. Was it or was it not suspension-worthy, Ezzy? I'm going to, you know, shock the world here a little bit. But when goalies come out to play the puck behind the net, whether it's in the trapezoid or no trapezoid, you know, I actually think that they're fair game. And I think that Alex Edler, when he hits Mike Smith behind the net, Mike Smith, if he's, you know, playing the puck with a guy coming at him full speed, I, I, I think that, you know, maybe it was a bit harder of a hit. But I think he's really getting a suspension because he's hitting a goalie, period. Not not necessarily because he's getting the, 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 the elbow up or he's targeting the head. And I think when a goalie plays the puck, he becomes a player. And you know that's how I feel about that. So I don't think it's suspension worthy. I should mention he got two games for the two game suspension for that hit. Mike Smith though has concussion issues from playing the puck in the past. He shouldn't be playing the puck as much then. I do. I would have to disagree. I think that, you know, you can't penalize a goalie because he's had concussion issues of the past. Think about how much he would change his game if suddenly now he can't go behind because he's concerned, has to be concerned about making contact. So I, I think it's a completely fair suspension. Rick Nash. Rangers were playing Tom, Thomas Kopecky and the Florida Panthers. He made a run at Thomas Kopecky. Some thought he jumped to hit him. The direct initial contact was apparently at, at Kopecky's back, not at his head. And Rick Nash... Got away with no suspension. Agree or disagree, Ezzy? I agree. I, I, I didn't think it was particularly egregious at all. And, you know, yeah, it was a bit of a charge. And, you know, it's not something where the head, again, was targeted. It's not a big deal here. And I, I'm, I'm fine with what the NHL Department of Player Safety decided to do. I'm I'm on the fence. I'm going to push on this one. I it could have gone either way for me. I think that he could have. No, I mean, no, I got to no, go. We don't, we don't push on this. We show. don't push. No push. All right, fine. Well, then he, I think he probably should have had suspension because I thought it was I thought it was enough in that gray area that he could have been suspended. I mean, I didn't think that it was again to use Ezzy's word egregious. Uh, what does egregious he, mean again? By the way, I just used it because I I get a word of the did day. Did you read my... it on dictionary.com? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so I, I I mean I really didn't think it was horrible. But I mean I I would have erred on the side of. Uh, you know, of, of caution, I would have given him a suspension. Suspensions are the theme of the week, of course. Joffrey Lupo this week um, connected with the head of Victor Hedman, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, big defenseman. He was suspended for two games by the National Hockey League. Do you think that his hit was suspension-worthy, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Not even, a, not even a question. You looked at this hit, and he went, like, shoulder to, to, to Hedman's head. You know what? Again, Hedman's a guy who has a past, in the past, has been, you know, injured like that. So you just got to be really mm-hmm. careful. And so, uh, you know, I thought it was, it, was, it was an unnecessary hit, and it was completely, like I said, it was, uh, it was completely suspension-worthy. Dave, the Joffrey Lupul hit, in many ways, had similarities to the Corey Perry hit, and in that the head was targeted, and that's the thing that the NHL is trying to get rid of. Um, and I think, you know, you could argue that he might have deserved four games for that hit. So I am going to agree with that as well. Joffrey Lupo, um, clearly, you know, he, he played like he was fine with it. If you saw the interview after the suspension, he said, you know, I accept it. I, he, he was pretty conciliatory. And then after the Rick Nash incident and the other incidents, he, he tweets out on, from his Twitter, if someone can exp- quote, if someone can explain the decisions on what warrants suspension and what doesn't, please let me and the rest of the guys know. End quote. Dave, what well, do you think of that tweet? I think it's you know it's sour grapes. I mean, the the reality is you got a suspension and you deserved your suspension. And what something what happens to somebody else is irrelevant to what you did. Your action merited a suspension. 
And it's really, it's as simple as that. Now, you know, do they want to have a clear understanding of what is a suspension and what isn't? Sure. But, I mean, you've been playing hockey for more than a minute, and you know that the way you hit Hedman was a penalty and should have been suspension and, should have, and merited a suspension. And it's as simple as that. So Lupo's just trying to be glib and flippant, and it's like it just comes across as uh, sour grapes. Does Joffrey Lupel own a computer? He obviously does because he's tweeting. Go on the NHL.com website. The NHL <laughs> Department of Player Safety and Brendan Shanahan put out videos quite uh, clearly explaining what a suspension is. So I'm not sure why he's tweeting this. Uh, I, I'd like to vote for Lupel as the most annoying guy on Twitter right now. Yeah, and also yeah. his comments about we don't want to be known as a team like Winnipeg as if Winnipeg isn't a playoff team. Well, I'm pretty sure, Joffrey, that when the Leafs were here last week, you were defeated by the Jets. So I'm not, you know, his his comments to me confuse me a little bit. I'm pretty sure he's also been a bust of a player in Anaheim and Edmonton, many other places. Uh, well, he played Anaheim twice, excuse me, and then he's in Toronto. Now he's got the big contract. But he's not exactly uh, um, what you want to pattern your career after. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Final question, rapid fire, guys. Gary, uh, our colleague Gary Lawless, brought up um, the possible the possibility that he's speaking to people in the National Hockey League, that there will be a challenge flag instituted just for high-sticking penalties, you know, four-minute high-sticking penalties. And, and the problem with determining whose stick is actually hitting the face of the player, and, you know, if it's a four-minute penalty, of course, double minor. If you score within the first two minutes, you get another two minutes. Thoughts on the possibility of a challenge flag, yes? I think it's a stupid idea. I think the challenge flag idea as a whole is a stupid idea. There's two referees on the ice. They have video review when, when it needs to be used. I think the challenge flag is something that's unique to football, and I think it's a terrible idea. David? In theory, I really like the idea because conceivably you could, you know, you could rectify a mistaken call, which could cost the team a game. I mean, if you get a four-minute penalty, that's two opportunities to be scored against mm -hmm. versus if it's not a penalty at all. Like, what happens if you're hit by a teammate's stick, the ref thinks you hit the stick, and suddenly your four minutes went to zero? So there's a merit to the idea, but the, the, at the same time, it's just it slows down the game. And the, and the beauty of hockey is it's such a fast game and to be yeah. bogged down with the idea of a like what's he going to do is is like Claude Noel going to keep it in his sock and he's going to reach down yeah. and, and if you like slow paced games baseball's about to start yeah but the <laughs> truth is I mean you can have a guy upstairs watching the penalties and just buzzing down if he thinks it was the wrong stick you don't need to have a challenge flag cheers congratulations he's brilliant he's a good guy and cheers no not good enough he's a bad boy I never seen something Surprisingly not good. Cheers and cheers. Ezzy Ginsberg, what do you got this week? Well, I'm going to cheer Remus just because I'm a big fan of his, first of all. But uh, I'm going to cheer Eric Stahl and Jordan Stahl, who have decided to wear visors. And we've talked about it a lot on the show. And those guys have not worn visors thus far in their career. They've seen what's happened to their brother, Mark Stahl, and they've decided to put the visors on. I think it's going to set a good example for kids and other guys who currently aren't wearing visors. That's funny because Dave Manuk asked me to stall because he couldn't think of a cheer or jeer. But in fact, I do have one, and it is going to be a jeer of the chanting at the MTS Center. Because while I think that generally it's, they're usually very original, you know, the silver medal and Crosby's better, I think that we need to get a little bit more inventive and stop, as Remus would say, picking the low-hanging fruit and using the same old tire tweets. Yeah. I mean, tweets, uh, a chance. So, and Remus know, is a high-hanging fruit, so... <laughs> exactly. So I think, like, you know, <laughs> instead of using, like, Crosby's better again when Ovechkin shows yeah. up at the MTS Center, I think that, that the, MTS, the MTS Center crowd, the 15,004 people, yeah. of which Ezzy might be one, but would have to come up with something that's more creative. 
I like that one. I'm going to use my cheer or jeer this week and jeer the term 200-foot game. Stop with the 200-foot game. All the teams and the players and the coaches want to talk about playing a 200-foot game. Well, I'm sorry. You know, I actually thought what the intention of the players was uh, that game was to play a 164-foot game. For whatever reason, they decided the other 36 feet, eh, not going to play. I want to play a 90-foot game. You know, maybe I want to play a 74-foot game or a 199-foot game. But the last foot, I wasn't interested in playing. Well, Richie, it is what it is, so. <laughs> like I said, I mean, we can talk about that all the time. And that wraps up. Three hours, boys. Where did Great the time show. go? Good little Saturday. Nice little Saturday. I want to thank our advertisers. Linden Market Dental Center, Bernstein's Deli, CGA Association of Manitoba, the Elite Sports Injury Clinic, David Carr of Monopoly Realty, and Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Illegal Curve. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Illegal Curve. And you can follow us on Instagram at Illegal Curve. If you're looking for this show, it'll be up on IllegalCurve.com tomorrow, mor- tomorrow afternoon. Michael Remus will do those duties. It'll be on tsn.ca as well, and you can subscribe on iTunes. I'd like to thank our guests this week, Mark Guy of Newport Sports Management, Corey Perry's agent, for giving us some interesting details into the negotiation he had with Bob Murray and the behind-the-scenes talks with Corey Perry leading up to that eight-year, uh, eight $69 million contract. And, of course, to Aaron Portsline of the Columbus Dispatch, for reviewing exactly how the Columbus Blue Jackets have ascended up the standings. That leaves us one last week for David Manouk. One last. Remus, no more music? <laughs> there we go, exactly. For David Manouk of LeoCurve.com, for Michael Remus, for Tim Debenham, and for Ezzy Ginsberg. We will see you Wednesday for NHL Midweek at 6 p.m. sharp after Hustler and Lawless. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. been listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Join us again for serious hockey talk, Saturdays from noon to three. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show, only on TSN 1290, your official home of the Winnipeg Jets.